I thought I'd like to talk about how we think the mind uh, and this sort of came to my mind in remembering uh, a clock. Um, a long time ago I, I was in Turkey, in Istanbul, and ate something that made me very sick. And I met this really nice, kind lady who invited me to her place in Göppingen, Germany. And I think this place was about as close to a castle as I've ever been. And um, she was a countess. I didn't know that at the time, but found that it. And uh, she took care of me for a couple of weeks, and that was really great. And one of the things that I really remember was this massive clock she had in her living room. And her living room was probably almost as big as this room, with several sets of furniture and whatnot. But at the end was this sort of the main focus of the room was this clock. And it was like a you know, large sea chest. It was, it was really huge. And it was on the wall. It wasn't touching the floor. And so um, I thought that was quite amazing. And it had you know, big hands that went around and it had the pulley weights and all that. But when it struck the hour, this little procession of people would come out around the top of the clock. Um, and there were probably 25 or 30 little individual people led by this fellow in red robes and a red mitre carrying a big cross, so he was leading the group around <laughs> back in the next door. And every hour this would happen. <laughs> and it just, it, it, I sat and watched it for hours, <laughs> waiting for the next hour to come, so it would be good again. Um, but it was, it was really interesting in that um, there was a period, probably starting in the 1600s, maybe even up to the present, where people became totally fascinated with clockworks. And <clears throat> I guess it started off with, you know, the, the clock was just the hands going around, and then there was a cuckoo clock, right? And the cuckoo clock at the hour would, instead of the procession of people, would just go cuckoo, cuckoo, and the number of cuckoos it would do would tell the time. So if you couldn't read the hands, it would count the cuckoos. Um, and then that, that progressed and progressed until there were woodsmen that would come out and chop wood and, and, uh, and of course like the, the cardinal carrying, leading the procession around the top of the clock and all that kind of And right up to the present, I think, I think our fascination with artificial intelligence and robotics comes from that. But back then, it created this whole idea in philosophy and science that the whole world was clockwork. In other words, there were deeper levels of mechanisms that produced all the things we think and do and say and, and what the world is and the world itself and all of that. And that became uh, a whole philosophy in science. And, and the, the period of the age of, of reason uh, evolved out of that. And 
that's really interesting because that came out of plagues which sort of shook the foundations of the church's uh, authority because the church people got the plague too so God wasn't protecting them specifically so maybe they didn't have the final say in what was going on and up until that time um, people who thought differently were accused of heresy and would be done away with so as we go into the, the 17th century and so forth um, people like Newton uh, who was uh, a scientist, a philosopher, he was an alchemist um, and he had all kinds of beliefs that weren't according to the church and he developed the whole idea that, that there is such a thing, a phenomenon as gravity and that developed the whole idea of classical physics that evolved also called Newtonian physics for that reason. Um, and then there was another fellow, uh, Thomas, William Thomas Kelvin, and you may know the name. There's, there's uh, a, a temperature scale called the Kelvin degrees scale. And it's, it, the degrees are the same as Celsius, but instead of zero being freezing point, it starts at absolute zero. And, and so it's, it's better for physics, I guess. And um, in 1850, Lord Kelvin made the proclamation that everything in the world that could be discovered by science had been discovered by science, and there was nothing else to discover. And he was quite confident about that. And a whole lot of other people all over Europe took it up and believed that they'd, they'd done the thing, right? And that was, of course, before, you know, Einstein and Planck and people like that who started talking about a whole different level of mechanism, uh, the quantum world. And so, the expansion of awareness that came by thinking of a deeper level changed a lot for a lot of people. Um, there, was, there was a whole uh, interest in, in oriental uh, spirituality, religion, um, that evolved in Europe. Um, and, and basically that went way beyond the ideas of, of Newtonian physics and probably stimulated the research that was done in quantum physics. And the idea in quantum physics is that, as far as I know right now, there's still just four fields. Uh, you know, there's gravitational field, the electromagnetic field, the strong force and weak force field within the, the atom itself. And the field contains the full potential of what can be expressed in that field. So um, all, all the vibrations in the electromagnetic field are possible because of the field. I mean, if you, have, if you have an ocean of water, you get certain kinds of waves. If it was an ocean of mercury, the waves would 
have a very different structure to them. And so each of the fields seems to express different things. And the field of awareness, which the scientists don't talk about because uh, there's, there's some taboo about consciousness and awareness, um, but the field of awareness contains all the possibilities of what we can experience. And there are no rights or wrongs, goods or bads. Um, they're just vibrations of the field. It's our interpretation of what they are that determines whether we think something is good or something is bad. And of course, tomorrow's going to be an election. <laughs> Speaking of goods and bads. And it, 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 to me, it's just fascinating that most of the money is being spent on negative advertising, in the, at least the two major parties, and the others are doing a little bit too. And what that negative advertising does is it limits people who listen to it. It creates a fear, this is bad, there's opinionization happening that person's bad. And what that does is it narrows the awareness down, it's exclusive, it prevents us from thinking about other possibilities. And uh, this whole idea evolved a whole lot in the States for, for many years now. Right? But now it's infected Canada as well, and we're, we're subject to it. And if we pay attention to it, then we start to have our opinions. And, and then, of course, there's social media and, and Twittering or tweeting, and everybody puts their opinions into a few short words, and everybody else picks it up. And we start to believe what we hear. First of all, our awareness, awareness is narrowed down to the idea that this is bad or that's bad, and then we get opinions to fill up that little space that we have left. And we do that all the time with all kinds of things. I mean, the whole field of advertising is based on telling you what you need. And it's, the foundation of it is that there aren't many people who feel really good about themselves. So if I have a product and it can make you happy, then you'll buy my product. And so we have all these interesting ads that, that are misdirecting us. They don't really often talk about what the product is. They talk about people being happy and, and accomplishing things and doing all kinds of stuff. Um, the reason I'm saying all this is Buddha had one of the concepts that he dealt with was the idea of interdependent arising. In other words, nothing stands by itself. And in the field of consciousness, or awareness, I think that that is so obvious. Um, we have the experience of, for a good metaphor, waves on the ocean. Right? If we're surfing the top of the wave, then that other wave is over there, and there's another wave back there, and, and we're just moving along on the wave. We're carried along by the wave. And if we're, if we're focused at the top of our wave, then we have to direct our attention outside to see anything else. 
if instead we go inside and we start to go down into the wave, then we come to greater and greater levels of expansion of perception and awareness. Right? If we get down below where the foundation or the base of the wave is, then we're in the ocean itself. The waves are still there above us, but we have this great perspective of seeing the whole thing, especially if we're the ocean. So with, with what's happening, we talk about our experience in life, and we're, you know, most people are really grounded in what they believe and, and what they're about and what their value is, and some people aren't. And we look for verification, validation from others, from the world, from our society. And that's usually because we're at the peak of the wave. We want that, that validation because we don't know what the source is, what our source is. And all waves arise from the same ocean. All of the expressions of the field arise from the nature of the field. And so we, we connect with that, if we meditate, we go inside, we go deeper and deeper, and that, that superficial value of awareness at the peak of the wave begins to expand. And we just grow and become more and more and more of what we actually are. There are a whole lot of people who believe that we have to have uh, re repetitive experimentation before anything is, is valid. And there's just a whole lot of life that can't be researched that way in, in a scientific labor laboratory. I mean, if you, if you think about who you are, how, how, is, how can that be researched? I mean, do you know who you are, really? What, what is happy? What does that mean? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, you probably know when you're happy, and you probably know when you're angry or depressed, but have you ever thought about what that is and why it is? The thoughts we have are generated because of other things that have happened. Like often one thought will lead to the next thought, will lead to the next thought, will lead to the next thought. We'll have a sensation and that will generate thoughts. We'll hear an idea and that will generate a sequence of thoughts. And yet, are we in charge of that? Is there such a thing as free will? Or is this interdependent arising the, the nature of what we are? Right? We're interacting with the world, we're interacting with the other people around us. Uh, I, I don't know how many of you have ever had children, but there are, there are experiences that are fairly common where a parent will know if their child, even if they're in school, way far away from them, will know if the child is having a problem, will know if the child's sick or upset. 
there's a connection that we have with everyone. Uh, when, when we're born, we become bonded with our parents, if the parents are close to us, are connected. And what that means is we create a configuration of energy within us that matches theirs. And of course they have the same thing. And what that does is it creates resonance between us. So that the baby has in potential form all the resources of the parent. And of course that parent had their parents and so on and so on. So we're connected to history of our lineage that way. And it, uh, the lineage expands and expands and expands. So potentially, just in thinking that way, we have a whole lot of potential right? of what we can think, what we can say, do, believe. It's all there. And we become more and more limited by the stresses in the environment, by the stresses that create fear in us or anxiety in us. Um, there are people who just have a huge amount of anxiety just going to work or school. Um, and there are people who watch the news right before they go to bed at night. And that generates a whole lot of anxiety so that they sleep with that all night long and wake up in the morning feeling stressed and not having a good night's sleep. That whole process is what most people live with. And yet, do we have free will? Do we have the ability to make choices? Or are they being made for us because of our environment? The deeper we go into our, our Buddha nature, pure awareness, the more we're at, the more we're established at the source of whatever is manifesting. At that point, we definitely have a kind of free will that doesn't exist at the peak of the wave at all. The people that ride the, the, the top of the wave, they're the victims of whatever the waves do. And it seems like in our society, this is becoming the general way of being. And so we come here, we meditate, we learn to meditate, we go deeper and deeper into the ocean of what we are. And I think that's what really the Buddha was talking about. The Buddha realized that his true nature was infinite. All the possibilities were there. And everybody is aware. Every, he said, I'm awake. Right? I presume everybody here is awake, unless you find this really boring, um, or you had a really good party last night. But the idea is that that wakefulness can just be a bit of the surface, but what he was talking about is the whole range, from the deepest level of awareness to the finest vibrations on the surface of consciousness. And so we meditate, and if we have a regular practice, we start to expand that, that, that awareness. And then, it's interesting that, that 
people who get really angry seem to be focused right on the peak of some wave. And I, I don't know whether you've ever known people who've gotten really angry, but you can't really talk to them. John, you don't have to be upset. And he blows up even further. Right? People who are happy or feeling loving seem to be functioning from a deeper level and have perspective. Right? The other waves start to come into their consciousness more easily. They have access. The, the limitations seem to dissolve. And that's normal. If we're angry, it's because we feel there's an obstacle somewhere in our life. If we're stuck at the peak of a wave, we can't go this way or that way, then yeah, we can get really angry. And anything that comes up can make us more angry, especially if it represents the fact that we're limited. Right? If we're feeling happy, do we feel limited? Do we feel bounded? Because our awareness, the boundaries of awareness, have expanded. So, I don't know if all this makes sense, but it's just somewhere else. But for me, this is the reason for meditating. So we can become more of who we really are, and discover who we really are. And that's what Buddha did. He discovered who he really was. Um, he went through hell to get there. Um, you know, he fasted till he's almost dead. But then he said, "Everybody's got this. You don't have to do all that. It's right here, right now." 